Welcome to Friends and Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry are four longtime friends with more than 70 published books between them. Together, they host Friends and Fiction with author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hi, everyone. It is Wednesday night, and that means it is time for Friends in Fiction. It is the happiest night of the week, and we're so happy that you are here. I am Patty Callahan Henry. I'm Mary Kay Andrews. I'm Kristen I'm Harmel. Chrissy <laughs> Woodson And we're starting off with a rockin' start here. Starting with and a bang. Names are hard. <laughs> Our names, alphabetical listings are difficult. Anyway, this is Friends in Fiction. Four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories to support indie bookstores, authors, and librarians. Tonight, we are so excited. We are going to be talking with the author Jane Allen about her series that began with Black Girls Die Exhausted and just out her new one, Black Girls Must Be Magic. We'll talk about debuts, about series, about how it felt to be on Good Morning America, and so much more with her. And as you know, we continue to encourage you to support independent booksellers when and where you can. And one way to do that is to visit our own Friends in Fiction bookshop.org page, where you can find Jane's books and books by the four of us and our past guests at a discount. And I'd like to take this opportunity to thank each and every one of you for the overwhelming tidal wave of love and support and prayers that my family and I felt after we lost my daughter Katie last week from complications of COVID. You know, so many of you are, have asked what they can do for me and for our family. So I'm going to tell you what I've told everybody who asks. Be kind, get vaxxed, and make every day count. Now, don't forget, our spring box is now available for order from our friends at Oxford Exchange. Order now and receive Christie's The Wedding Veil in March, my The Home Wreckers in May, and a special Friends in Fiction notebook complete with sticky flags for marking all your favorite pages with all the F-bombs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Christy puts F-bombs in her books, but I've been known to. I've been known to. It's a treasure. You know the nice thing about the sticky notes is you can insert F-bombs. <laughs> Just write them on the sticky <laughs> note and put it right in. That's a great yeah. idea. If you find my book lacking, just insert them in there yourself where, where appropriate. <laughs> it's a treasure hunt of F-bombs. <laughs> All right. We're in the second month of our very first Friends in Fiction reading challenge. So each month of the year, there'll be a different reading prompt. And we challenge you not only to complete all 12 months, but also to keep track of what you've read this year. One way to do that is with our beautiful reading journal designed by us in conjunction with independent bookstore Oxford Exchange. This month's prompt, as many of you know, is memoir or nonfiction. Um, and our friend Anissa Armstrong has posted the graphic in our announcement.
announcements, and we cannot wait to see what all of you have chosen to read. All right, y'all ready to welcome our guest for the evening? I am. Yeah. yeah. Jane Allen has authored four, four nonfiction books in addition to the first two books in her Black Girls Must Die Exhausted trilogy. She writes her fiction novels out of life experiences, calling every chapter fragments of reality strung together by imagination. Her series, Black Girls Must Die Exhausted, touches upon contemporary women's issues such as workplace womanhood, race, modern relationships, fertility, and mental health. Jane is originally from Detroit, which we were just talking about. I was saying how much I like it there. And she's a serial entrepreneur, a Harvard-trained attorney, and an engineer. She also founded Book Genius, a full-service online book marketing and author branding course coming early this year. Ooh. I was going to say, right? someone, we might need to sign up. Yeah. I know. Exactly. The second novel in her series, Black Girls Must Be Magic, was just released earlier this month. Sean, can you bring Jane on for us? Hello. Hi, Jane. Hi. We are so happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited. I I wore my sparkles. Special occasion calls for sparkles. I like your sparkles. I actually like the color of your sparkles. It looks like it might be for Auburn University. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> it looks red to me. It, it looks, looks orange to me. What color is it, Jane? We're it's, gonna settle. It's red. I think what's well, a reddish orange. So it, it but it's a it's oh. supposed to be red for Valentine's Day ishness. Which is it's just trying to be nice with the orange. All right. We are so happy to have you here. And it has been so fun watching this series just burst onto the scene. Probably not as much fun as it's been for you. So before we take a deep dive, can you tell our readers a little bit about these books? Sure. So I'm, I'm so excited uh, again to be here and, and hello to everybody. Uh, Black Girls Must Die Exhausted is a series that uh, talks, it, it was, I call it the epitaph of my 30s. So basically I wish somebody had handed me this book when I was in my late 20s, early 30s, but it centers the story of Tabitha Walker and she is a woman in her early 30s. She's 33 years old and living in Los Angeles. She happens to be a black woman and she thinks she's living her best life. And we meet her on her very worst day when she finds out that that is not at all what's happening. And uh, that checklist <laughs> that she had goes right out the window because she finds out that she has an infertility issue, which is kind of mm -hmm. how that happens to people where all of a sudden it's not something that you, you know, find out when there's a whole bunch of time. A lot of times it's just one of those things that comes upon you and it just starts to unravel her perfect life and her unraveling causes the unraveling of all of the people around her, her friends, uh, her family. And she's got to deal with her complex family history and figure out for herself what fulfillment looks like, not according to societal definitions anymore, but for her own internal compass. And it's about finding your voice. It's about uh, finding the courage to live fulfillment on your own terms and just a story of authenticity. And it just happens to be from this particular woman's perspective, which layers in the experiences of, of race and, and what uh, workplace dynamics are about. And, and um, it's, just, it's hopefully a delight to, to go along with her and, and somebody that you really can root for. 
It is a delight. And uh, by the opening pages, your voice, you're, you're along for the ride. Thank you. I love that. Um, well, you just, as you just mentioned, um, at the beginning of this series, you said, I wrote the book that I wish someone had handed to me. Um, and I also read that you said the title might have come to me before the book concept did. It occurred to me in a period where I was feeling unseen, unprotected, and uncelebrated as a Black woman specifically. Can you talk to us just about that very initial spark for this novel and what made you choose that title? Sure. So in my life, the way that I view books and when I'm in a bookstore, and I've always thought this, even since I was a little girl, that people put the best parts of themselves in books. And I thought, wow, if you, you really have to have something important that you have to share that's really good to take the time to write a book and to put in a book. So whenever I go into a bookstore or be in a library, in my mind, I'd always envision that I was like bathed in this golden light of goodness and positivity. I would, even when I'd have problems, you know, or, or like feel down, I would go find myself into in a, to a bookstore for like an answer or just, you know, um, for good vibes. So when I felt like I needed to do something good and that there was something good that was needed, um, the first instinct for me is always to, to write in, in a book. And for Black Girls Must Die Exhausted, this was my first time to think, oh, maybe I can do fiction because I tried this with nonfiction. And I was, I was, what I guess sparked that for me was that feeling of feeling uh, unseen. And we were in a period where it was just unrelenting on the news. You know, um, somebody died at you know the hands of, of the police or it was something else happening or, you know, being told that you're not enough in one way or another and dealing with the issues of gender and race and all of it confounded into this big snowball and around that time. And I felt like if I am feeling this way, if I'm feeling unprotected, unseen, unsafe, uncelebrated, I can only imagine what other women are feeling like, other women similarly situated and other women not. And I wanted to do something that was gonna acknowledge the weight of the times that we're living in, and but also create a celebration to say, wow, but look who we are in spite of this. Like Just to celebrate being a woman, celebrate being a black woman, but just generally celebrate womanhood from all the different perspectives and layers. And there's so many perspectives in this book because there's, you know, different, there's characters beyond Tabby and, and, and there's other perspectives. So I just thought that it was possible to make it, to write a book that would be both an acknowledgement and a celebration. And um, the, I, the word exhausted came to me to describe how I was feeling. And what I was hoping to do was to provide the, uh, provide context to that and provide perspective. So looking at your life, I think for all of us, we're living a word and we don't realize it. And I realized that the word I was being at that time was exhausted and I woke, I woke up to that. And I decided that's not the word I would choose for myself. If I'm looking back at all of my days, you know, at the end of a whole a lifespan, and, and if that word was exhausted that I was living, like that's not, that is not my word. So I decided that I wanted to change that meaning and try to do that through the story first. And so in the story, you see the word exhausted change its meaning and this whole phrase change its meaning so it turns out it starts out as an acknowledgement and then it turns into a celebration and then it winds up being a call to adventure and fulfillment and finding your word and not 
and whether it's exhausted with a different meaning or something else, it's just about, it's sort of about finding your word. Oh, that's so fantastic. And claiming it. I mean, that's, um, that's an incredible message for all of us, I think is, you know, none of us want our word to be exhausted. <laughs> You're absolutely right. <laughs> right. I mean, it's got to be running right now. What is our word? What is our word? I know. I know. I've been thinking that. Yeah. Um, you know, Jane, I, I think it's it's not just about finding our word, but finding, I mean, these books are so much about finding your family beyond your family, right? I mean, women and family bonds are so incredibly important in both of these books. So like Tabitha would not have made it through without the love and the friendships that she's able to surround herself with, which is just like us here. I mean, that's, you know, we talk a lot about that, the love and the friendship that we all share. Can you talk to us about diving into these deep bonds? And did you know that they would um, in many ways be the, be the backbone of the novel? Well, it seems like for me, you know, thinking about uh, my life as a, you know, living in the layers that I've lived as a, as a woman, as a black woman in the society, and I've been single, you know, I'm, and what is it, what is my life like? What's important? And the connecting tissue has been my relationships with other women. And it's yeah. just that friendship, you know, and in, in a lot of ways, those relationships wind up being our soulmate relationships. That's where we get our strength from. You know, that's where we get our support from. <laughs> it's just a, it's a beautiful thing. And I wanted to celebrate that. And she also, Tabitha, she, she is seeking to have her own family be, and partially because as we find out earlier in this, early on in the story, her family is really dysfunctional. It feels dysfunctional except for one particular relationship. And that's with her, her grandmother. And her grandmother happens to be white. And that's and that's an interesting part to the story. But it, it's neither here nor there other than the fact that that relationship is just one of pure love and intimacy. And I loved writing that relationship because it transcends everything. And in society, I think we've been living in these divisive times where we're being led to believe that there's so much that separates us. But once you yeah. put love at the center, you realize that there's nothing more important and there's nothing stronger. So it was so important to me to write that relationship and to show that and to give them the space to explore everything from that center point of, of love and connection. And with her friends, it's the same thing. They're so imperfect. Their friendship's so imperfect. <laughs> they are, you know, they're busy, they're wrong about each other. They're, they can be catty. <laughs> I they're love funny. They're so funny. <laughs> I loved writing the friends and just, you know, all of the hijinks and, and, you know, how they could be catty with each other and misunderstand and kind of be like, you know, Tabby sometimes is a little bit of an unreliable narr narrator because it's in first person. And just, that was fun, but it was important to me for their friendship to be imperfect because it's still perfect. They're still there for each other. And to just show that that we can we can be imperfect, we can have the jagged edges, we can be broken, but when it comes down to it in our friendships, we show up for each other and it's perfect the way that we manage. Oh, no, I was gosh, wondering hearing so I was wondering hearing you talk, Jane, if you always knew that you would write Tabby first person or if you tried it other ways. That is such a good question. <laughs> so I, it came to me as first person. And again, this is my first novel. So, you know, as an experienced writer, it's really difficult to do as first person. No, I, wrote, I wrote my first novel first person. I didn't know it was difficult. I, well, it was so difficult. 
difficult for me because as I got into it, if she doesn't see it or know about it or learn about it, it doesn't happen. And there's all these supporting characters with all these complexities and stories. So it was really a challenge to figure out how to really authentically and seamlessly integrate their storylines only through Tabitha's perspective uniquely. They couldn't switch perspectives. It really had to come. So I had to be really inventive about <laughs> how she found <laughs> something out or, you know, or even the, the fun thing about it was when she's wrong. You know, that was really fun because it was you know, she's able to grow and learn and the reader is able to kind of grow and also kind of judge her a little bit. <laughs> you know, maybe they see things as she's recounting them. You know, she gives her interpretation, but sometimes even the reader will know that she's wrong, but her perspective is so you know, strong in that point and she has some growth to, to still undergo. So that became fun, but it was really a challenge. And at one point I did regret it. I was like, oh gosh, I really would. <laughs> I can remember thinking that too. How do I let the reader know this happened yeah. when she isn't going to tell when them there's it no happened. way. Yeah. And that's when I discovered, yeah. oh, I could do split POV. I can have someone else tell their story from their what point is, of view. I'm like, why didn't I do that? Nobody told, <laughs> no told me how hard. I just was like, oh, I've, I've been a journalist and I thought, I am going to write first person and I'm going to use bad words and I'm going to have like this. <laughs> Nobody told me. Okay. So we just <laughs> segue nicely into writing process. Now I know you've written four other nonfiction books and being a lawyer, how did you manage? I mean, you said it was hard. We got that it's hard, but you didn't make it look hard. You made it look easy. Could you talk a little bit about um, your use of imagery and your writing process? Well, I, so I was an engineer undergrad. And so this was really a new world for me. And it took me a while just to build the confidence to know that I could write and that there, I had a story to tell, especially in the fiction space. I felt pretty comfortable with nonfiction because I can, you know, set up a, a thought and <laughs> explain it very well. But that was it's a completely different skill set to bring about uh, this imagery and, and a world and create an experience for someone. And it, it, I did build the confidence. I, I, it took a realization that writing for me, my view of it, it's, it's not some kind of bestowed gift from the gods, you know, a <laughs> golden rain like landed upon your head, <laughs> you're the anointed one that glitter, glitter. <laughs> a unicorn sneezed on you, you know, and a magic <laughs> So I realized this is a craft that I can learn. And so I, once I kind of knew that and internalized it, I went about learning the craft. And the other thing that I did, and, and now I'm realizing this in retrospect, I started doing a lot of internal work of just understanding my experience as a human being in perspective and really doing the like internal investigation of, of just people, how we're structured, why, why do we respond in one way or another to things? And why, you know, why, what makes this person upset? And, and what are the mechanics of the human experience? I really spent a lot of time thinking that through. So for me, a lot of the fun has been character development and putting these people together. And I just kind of have a framework about who these people are and what makes them who they are, you know, and, and gives them their unique um, experience of them. 
And uh, the other part of it was trying to think in a fresh way about writing. I, I had to really think about, I started researching, I'm such a nerd. I was like, what is, what is her novel? Like, what is a novel? Like, what was the origins of a novel? Why do we call oh it you Why have is this off screen? <laughs> <laughs> I was such a nerd. I was like, why is it structured like this? You know? And so I thought, okay, well, what can I, what's really happening in the reader's mind? How can I make this its own experience? And so I, I just deconstructed all of that and, and crafted what I wanted to create as an experience for the reader. And that made it exciting for me. So that's kind of how I, I thought about it. I wanted it to feel like it was immersive. I wanted it to feel emotionally evocative. I read a lot of um, erotica. I wanted Interesting. to and yeah. classic erotica, like Anna Isnin and because that, you know, people like, it's kind of this whatever, you know, taboo world, but I thought, wow, this is so ingenious that somebody can use words in a page to create a visceral reaction in someone's yeah. body. We're aroused by reading this. Like, what's, so I studied that and I wanted to bring the emotional, you know, emotionally evocative uh, energy into what I was writing. So I don't know, I just, I, I wanted to be like, cool. awesome. <laughs> well, we're all pretend psychoanalysts. So we yeah. just dive into yeah. Why and yeah. Okay. And that makes me wonder how much, because you said you totally nerded out. Um, <laughs> how much did your first draft change to the finished manuscript? I mean, was that one of these, how, how long, like how long start to finish and what kind of changes evolved as you, as you took literally, like most of us do, I think we we taught ourselves how to write a novel. Yeah, yeah. nobody yeah. knows how to write a novel yeah. until you write a novel. I'm sure. so glad you said that. Yeah, it's it's it was kind of like that, and I realized I really operate well with structure. So the engineer in me makes a out, you know, the outline and the structure, and then there's a creative, you know, something. I'm not writing into a void, so I feel so much more comfortable knowing having an outline, knowing where I'm going, knowing where the story's going, knowing where the reader is in different points. So it's it's stretched out for me, and then that makes me excited to write forward, and then I feel comfortable and confident in writing. So it took me about two years all together the first draft for me was really a detailed outline and I, my first like seven drafts were <laughs> creating this outline <laughs> oh yeah I, I i was do i write in this outline form i have a story structure i i have an arc you know i i have i know mapping wise the emotional arc of the story where that where i'm taking the reader so i really think it through about like what this journey is for the for the reader in the outline before I ever write the words. So and do you storyboard? Uh, sometimes I, I do all kinds, whatever. I've tried so many different things. I, I've done the like note cards. I've done the every process. I tried all of it at the very beginning and uh, to figure out what was gonna work for me. And so I now do kind of a blend, <laughs> you know, you like do all of that and then you throw it out the window and. and to go back to the basics so um so now I, I just have a really tight story structure and then i focus on the emotional art because i kind of want the reader to go I, there's you know there's emotional intensity but there's that builds to this payoff and the other thing that i realized perspective wise if i'm doing something traumatic like if i'm going to take the reader through something 
I'm never gonna, I, I'm, I'm never going to leave raw trauma or unprocessed trauma or put that in my work. Oh, I guess. okay. I, I'm not, I don't write like that. Sometimes if there's some, you know, authors that that's their thing, you know, they, they'll put the trauma and it's just there and it's raw, but I, I don't, I don't do a raw unprocessed trauma. I always bring it to some kind of oh, this mm -hmm. yeah, and completion point. So I don't write about anything I haven't processed. Wow. Yeah. I feel like I'm, that was our writing tip. There's more. There's <laughs> more. In both of the novels, um, there's a solid, thematic thread about getting rid of assumed identities and how to stand in your own power, mm -hmm. how to define life on your own terms, whether it's how you wear your hair to the people you choose to love. And it's a lifetime of work, as we all know, because we're doing it ourselves. So talk to us about this. Was, was it a theme that rose up as you wrote or one that you went in wanting to portray? When I wrote this story, I wanted to have a, a sort of objective reason to center a black female protagonist because I didn't want to just write about a, a black woman just to have done it. I wanted to have meaning within the story and be part of the lesson that the reader is getting. And so thinking about it, you know, it's a human story. And the societal layer of race, the societal layer of gender, what does that impose? It imposes these kind of made up stories that tell us who we're supposed to be and in some way who we are, why who we are is not enough. And so, you know, you amplify that with what with gender, you amplify that with race, and you've got this person who's got to fight those two things. That's the, that's the foundation of the human journey in this story. So I wanted it to be a, a authentic lesson to learn from this particular perspective uh, and this particular protagonist that anybody can learn. It's not just a black woman's story, it's a human story, but Tabitha's the right teacher. And what's the what's the right lesson that Tabitha's the perfect teacher for us to learn? And that's about authenticity. And it's about fighting through those layers. It's about breaking down those walls. It's about getting to the point where we're at the most fundamental place where we all connect and we're all speaking the same language and we understand each other viscerally. And so that's, um, that is, that's her journey. It's that, it's that journey towards authenticity. And it's the, the best feedback I get. I love this from hearing from readers from all over the place, from different perspectives and, you know, diff just different genders, different orientations, different identities and saying, wow, you know, Tabitha and I on the surface, we're so different, but she is me on the inside. That's me. And so that's to me, to me, then I'm like, okay, yes, you know, I, this is what I intended to do. This is what I wanted us to, to understand that in spite of what society tells us is so different, this is, we're all feeling the same thing. It may be in different degrees, but we're all in the same struggle and we can all support each other, especially once we know that what you're feeling is what I'm that feeling. Like we're, that's the same feeling. And it's, it's the same struggle. It's the same journey. And, and we can support each other. We can relate to each other. When I won't give any spoilers, but there's a very particular scene in um, Black Girls Must Be Magic. And, oh, I don't want to give it away. But I, I put the book down and I thought, how does that, what are the things I'm doing that are, are, are imposed 
from somewhere else. I mean, it made me put the book down and think about, I had to pick it back up to see what happened, but <laughs> it made me, I, I, I was really curious how, um, how you came to that in it or whether it rose up. So thanks for sharing that. It's really thanks. powerful. Well, and it's, I think it's so true what you said. I think, you know, we talk about this a lot that in fiction, we understand each other's stories in a way that sometimes it just doesn't happen in nonfiction. Like it's just not the same thing. Like we understand and connect to each other because we are the same. And it's just, it's, it's magic. (laughs) (laughs) I have to ask you a super quick question. Um, Do you have a new word? Oh, yeah. Um, What what was I did? So I'll just tell you that my perspective on things is it's two words. It's without regret. I mean, it's like YOLO is my word. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) But I, um, in in context for this story, one of the reasons why I wanted to um, kind of center the relationship between Tabby and her grandmother, I mean, culturally, that's a big thing. We definitely have um, in the black culture and I'm in everybody's family too, but it's like, you, you're not just in your generation. Like you definitely have, you know, your grandparents and it's, it's very much that insight and that presence there. Like it's not a Thanksgiving table, if, you know, the grandparents or the uncles, like you, you've got, it's, it's family oriented in a lot of ways. And sometimes the family we create, but, um, but I wanted to show that because I just, you know, the story in a vacuum of kind of you see the women in their 30s and they're just in their 30s and they're single and they're living life. You know, I didn't think that was authentic to Tabby and that wasn't authentic to what my experience has been. I hadn't seen so much of that. And so I wanted to show um, the experience with her, her grandmother. And the reason for that also for me is in my 30s, my grandmother went through a period of dementia. So I and she was in assisted living uh, facilities. And so I would go to visit. So this is where I got some of this perspective from. And I remember in those spaces, I was thinking, wow, these are people who have lived so much of life and have so much perspective. These are treasures. And they're like kind of set apart from, you know, our everyday interactions. And I wish I just need to know what they're thinking. Like, I, I just need to know holding the keys to life like you know everything and and so I would sit there and ask myself what is this person thinking like what's important to them and, and I would try to project into that space and what I realized is that they're not sitting there obsessing over the stuff that I think is important or I was thinking is important in my 30s like oh I, sh- I shouldn't have you know said that in that meeting or I wish I hadn't gone on a date with that guy or I wish I hadn't drank so much at that party it's like no they're they're, they're thinking about the, the big things in life and, and it's yeah. not a, it's in it and I realized in that moment that regret is the most expensive thing that I could generate in my life and I, I realized that in my 30s and so I've been trying to live to minimize regret because that's yeah. awesome. That's beautiful. Fabulous. Yeah. Beautiful. Oh my gosh. We have so much more to talk to you about, but we love our live audience and they are rolling in with the questions. They really, yeah. yeah, we really are. I'm sorry. I'm leaning in like an old lady, which I am. Um, <laughs> uh, Joyce Merrill wants to know back to the question of process do you feel locked in once you start writing first person or do you and i i'm going to take it a a a little bit farther 
do you feel free to, when you started writing, come to, oh, this character, I know more about her now than when mm-hmm. I, I did when I started. How, how, what's your process on that? I, I definitely have felt her growth. And so I had to allow that. And the series has to have that uh, growth for her. And I, for me, the way that I view my characters, I mean, like for me, the fun part is creating these people. And I'm just like, okay, these are people and I'm putting them into play with each other in these situations and scenarios. And I can't wait to see what happens. Literally, that sounds like a crazy person, but like I same thing. I am watching this scene play out in my mind with these people I've invented. I could so <laughs> we're little gods. We're speaking right? your language. It's fine. <laughs> You're among friends. Yeah. You know, I'm like we're the same kind of weird. So I <laughs> that's a great title. Same kind of weird. <laughs> the same kind of weird. So, but it's, if I can't have a conversation with this person in my head, like then I don't feel like I've done enough work to round them out as a character. So with Tabitha, that's kind of how I felt. And with the story, what was really important to me was to get past this like strong, that get past I'm fine. Because I think those are the worst two words and ever invented in womanhood. Like, I'm fine. Like, no, you're not. <laughs> you know? And, and so I wanted to, <laughs> right? I wanted to get past I'm fine. And I realized the amount of fireballs I had to throw and, you know, into at these people to get them past I'm fine and to get them to like finally be vulnerable and break down and show in the dirty, you know, the messy gook of the insides. And so that we can now really see what's going on. And so can they. So I um, so that was the one of the things with with her that, you know, I'm in the first book. Oh my gosh, I'm like having to throw all, you know, the kitchen sink. And as we're past it, you know, getting in, in the second book, she's not at her lowest point anymore, but she's, she's, she's at this inflection point. Is she going to backtrack, you know, for comfort or is she going to keep pushing forward? And one of the things that I love about this character is that I find that there's still always that flame that she wants fulfillment. It, it's not getting extinguished no matter what I throw at her. It's like still that little flicker there so I can push further and she has further to grow. So I feel like it, the growth is very much authentic to her. And, um, and, and I think still first person is, well, it's, not, it's the way to go now. It's really difficult again, because all of the other characters, their storylines are still complex. And, you know, and, and there's one character in the second book who's not as present as she's in the first book, but she's going through a lot. And what I realized is that in life, this taught me something, Sometimes when somebody's going through something in life, it looks like being a bad friend to you. And so I've got to write it like that. And people ask me, well, where is she in the second book? Like she's going through something and that's what it looks like. And so I have to feel comfortable showing that authentically that this is, this is what that looks like. It looks like self-care sometimes when you're asserting your own self-care, it looks like you being a bad friend. And so, you know, that's the truth of it. Yeah, that's such a good point. Um, Okay, so we have another question from Anissa Joy Armstrong. She is saying, um, since you knew it was a trilogy going in, did that make it easier or harder to write these books? Well, I knew about like kind of halfway through the first book uh, that this was going to be, this should be a trilogy. And I think it was partially because of the the other characters. There's just so so much story there. So uh, it made it easier because I didn't have to 
cram everything in that first book. I just knew that, okay, we can stop writing here. This is a natural conclusion to this part of the story. And now the whole arc has a beginning, middle and end. And it was just great, especially kind of as a debut author to have that space and to know early on you have the space, yeah. you know, let it breathe. <laughs> you can let the story breathe. You can let it develop. And so wrap it up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it made it a lot easier that, you know, I can revisit something or I can just really let it play itself out and, and have a good time and learn along the way. That's great. Yeah, sometimes um, sometimes knowing that you're writing open-ended mm. gives you a little bit more confidence to say, okay, in the next book, I'll figure that out. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jill Celeste has a great question for you. Did you find it hard to switch gears from writing nonfiction to fiction? I did a little bit, but I had some runway over um, the time that I was learning how to craft a novel. And so it was a little bit difficult because I had to make sure that I was, I had to even learn what it meant. You know, we say show, don't tell. Well, I'm like, what is that? <laughs> what does it mean? You know, so I think probably every writer has a definition for themselves of what that actually means. But I had to make sure that I had internalized my version of that because it's very different in, in nonfiction. You know, people want you to tell them. Okay, yeah. that's what I'm about. I just get to the point. And in fiction, yeah. it's like people want you to show them. And so learning that distinction and making sure that I was in that space was really a, that was one of the bigger transitions. That's really interesting. Uh-oh. Jane, we, that's amazing. <laughs> when I first heard show, don't tell, I was thinking, aren't they the same? What, yeah. what are they words? What, anyway. Okay. That's so, we, that's a whole book. It's such a deep concept. I'm like. <laughs> because even when you're showing, you're telling. And even when you're yes, telling, you're exactly. showing. Right. So, right. I'm like, what does yeah. that mean? <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, we love a good writing tip, and you've given us a ton already, but could you share one of your favorite writing tips with our viewers and with us? Well, what this is really rudimentary, but I have to remind myself of this all the time. Don't edit in drafting. And that is my writing tip, and just write through, yeah. just write through, and, and for, be forgiving. Of, and, and give yourself grace in, in the writing process because excellence happens, like the real writing happens in editing. And so when I, I talk to a lot of people who are, who have, feel like they have a story in them, but they're like, I could never, and they have, you know, partially completed manuscripts or they don't, they don't get to the finish point. My, my one tip is just give yourself grace and just write to the finish, at least for that one draft, give yourself that. And I think it gets harder every time to do that because I think the editor on our shoulder, that little uh -huh. voice gets louder and louder because we know it's coming, right? Yeah. So yeah. I think that gets harder with time. Do y'all do feel like yeah. that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm writing now and I'm literally, this is what I tell myself in the mirror every day. <laughs> Just write, okay. Just write. don't worry about it. Don't edit, don't edit. It's, it's right. hard though, especially when you're like, I really needed to like nail that line at the end of that chapter and that's not it. And I'm like, I really want to spend seven hours on that line right now, but I also need to write the book. 
So, you know, I, I don't have an urge to edit as I go as much, but I, I, um, I have a lot more self-consciousness about my writing than I used to. Like, I think I used to just be able to put the words on the page and realize I would fix them. Mm-hmm. And now that I've been doing this for so long, it, uh, you just, I don't know, like you see all the missteps you're making along the way, but if you stop and correct them, I mean, you just slow way down, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. And there's that realization of like, oh, someone's going to read this. Yeah. You know, yes. Like, oh, someone Hopefully. is going to give me a one-star That's the goal. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it's perfect, someone's going to give me one-star review. Yeah. Somebody's <laughs> going to give me one-star. Somebody's going to do it. That's Mary Kay Andrews because she's never had a one-star review. You're supposed to help us. Joke. Yeah. <laughs> Big joke. I don't actually need, I give myself one star reviews. So it doesn't even take mean, mean, anonymous um, hater Karens on the internet. (laughs) I do it. I mean, I, I get to the point where I, I can cripple myself with, um, with loathing and, and self-hatred for what I've written. And, and I'm, you know, I'm making gagging noises as I write, but I, (laughs) do it anyway i know oh my God. the only yeah the only way to do it is to do it yeah well um jane we usually ask authors to give us a book suggestion and we'd love to do that but there's a question the new york times book review asks authors that we really love what book might we be surprised to find in your library or on your nightstand oh my gosh um what can I tell you is I'm looking at my bookshelf right now and I'm like, what would be surprising? Um, I will tell you, I don't know if this would be surprising or not, but I really love um, the kind of not self-help, <laughs> but I really love like esoteric and positivity. So one of my favorite books is Ask and It Is Given. By Abraham Hicks book, and I just, I just find their work delightful, and it's so positive. And whether or not it's true, and whether or not the premise is <laughs> is you accurate, or not, it's yeah. just like, like there's one, there's like a mantra. She says like everything's always working out for me. Everything's always. So I'm just like yes, everything's always working it's out, working so out I get for me. Positivity from um, from their book. So maybe who would be surprised to know that that book? Asked. Okay, and who's the author again, Jane? Would you repeat that? It's, it's Abraham Hicks is the author. I think it, it I think they write is that it's, it's a whole complex. You know, she's, she's supposedly channeling like this outer worldly ultra wise being. And I believe oh. Abraham Hicks, but, um, but it's Esther Hicks. So, yeah. uh, so yes, it's, but it's, it's, it sounds wise and it sounds really positive. So I just like it's it not hard to say that every day. I, I read I a lot of um, Gabrielle Bernstein, and she quotes Abraham Hicks like all the time. And and her, a lot of her mantras are from. So I actually haven't read that book, but I feel like that's one of her mantras. It's like it was. Oh my gosh, it was so instrumental for me um, in the like height of the pandemic, and I I just needed something positive, and it was it was like this is extra positive, and and I had a little. You know, my little mantras I would write in my journal, and it, it definitely helped. So that's awesome. Okay. If you wouldn't mind sticking around for just another couple minutes, because we have one more thing we want to talk about, but we also have a couple quick announcements. 
A new episode of our Friday Writer's Block podcast just dropped. Ron and I talked with Robert Dugoni about the staying power of stories, and it was so great. And this week, Ron and Patty will talk to audiophile editor Robin and audio narrator Fiona Hardingham in an episode titled, Are You Listening? Fiona read Patty's Once Upon a Wardrobe, and it won the coveted Earphone Award for Audiophile Magazine. It's such an interesting conversation about audiobooks. I think speaking of audiobooks, Patty, aren't you, isn't um, uh, one of your audiobooks nominated for an Audio Award, which is yeah. a huge, prestigious thing? I'm really excited. It was my Audible original, Wild Swan, read by Cynthia Arrivo. I mean, come on. Wow. Unbelievable. That's amazing. In my, in, my, in my world, she wins everything. <laughs> she wins Broadway. She brings Party a winner. Yeah, <laughs> all around winner. We have to stick an A in for e, like in the EGOT, right? Like there's all there also has to be the Audi Award in like the Emmy, Grammy, yeah, Oscar. They send yeah, me this little. I'll put it on Facebook tomorrow. They send me this little medal. It says Audi finalist, oh, and of course awesome. the award ceremony is virtual. I'm like. The year I'm a finalist is virtual. Oh, that's such a shame. Meg is saying we call it the egoat. <laughs> she just put the comments. You know, yeah. anyhow, um, we also wanted to remind you, you know, we talk each week about Loco Plus, which um, airs a lot of our back episodes. But they have, you know, one of the reasons we're involved with them is because they air um, exclusive, fascinating content from local creators. So it's people who are kind of just at the beginning of their creative journeys, who are doing really special things and who are inviting you into their community. So we're happy to be a part of that community and we hope you'll check it out too. It's called Loco Plus and it's just a cool place to be. <laughs> and now I want to remind you that about our Friends and Fiction Official Book Club, which is separate from us, and it's run by our friends, Lisa Harrison and Brenda Gardner. Um, they are now more than 11,000 strong. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? So yeah. And tomorrow, you don't want to miss the discussion with Jasmine Guillory about the wedding date. We've had Jasmine on as a guest before on the show, and she's delightful and funny and knows how to write a sex scene. Am I right, Jane? Have you read Jasmine? <laughs> I have. She does. <laughs> and Jane knows because she's I've read, read a lot of scenes. She's I've read, read a lot of sex scenes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And next week, right here, same time, same place, we'll have B.E. Schwab of the blockbuster The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. And in the after show, we are going to have G.R. McAllister's New Fantasy. We're so thrilled. She usually writes under Greer McAllister, and she has switched over to this fantasy series about a matriarchal yeah. kingdom. I am so excited about this series. And um, she's going to join us on the after show. And the week after, on March 2nd, someone no one's ever heard of, Colleen <laughs> Hoover. <laughs> um, I wish someone would buy her books, you know. I know. Well, I feel so for her. It's just like <laughs> she's never on the top five spots of the Times list. I know. Four all the five. Yeah, that's and that's a guess all of you have been demanding. Yeah. So we finally yes. we finally got B.E. Schwab and right after that, Colleen Hoover. We wrangled them. Yeah. Yep. Because <laughs> we said mind. Jane Allen was coming on and they were like, so are we. <laughs> Well, I'm in. Exactly. <laughs> so our schedule is always on the Facebook page and on our website. 
Well, Jane, you are up. We have one last question for you. Um, so we have a wonderful mutual friend, Zibby Owens, and we hear that you have a role at Zibby Books, her new imprint, and we want to hear all about it. <laughs> well, I am super excited. The I don't know if you know about my personal journey, but I started out self-published and went to traditionally published. And along the way, I learned that I, that I really wish that there were more ways to connect books with readers and more ways to bring more readers to more books. And I think there are a lot of people that are kind of sitting on the sidelines for various reasons. So I'm really excited to work with Zibi and the team and figuring out uh, new ways to approach marketing and, and to try to create a, a bigger platform for the books that we love and to hopefully bring more books to, to more readers. So it's an exciting time and a wonderful, incredible team. And I just love Zippy. She's she's so creative and, and yeah. such a wonderful person. Yes, the two of you together are going to be. <laughs> I was going to say, talk about a power pair. Dynamo. I, I know. I know. Thank you so much for spending time with us and talking about being authentic and writing in first person and the terrors of it. And <laughs> the hair terrors. Um, before you say goodbye, can you tell everybody where to find you online? Yes, I am most frequently on Instagram at Jane Allen writes. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I try to respond. If you tag me, I will see and I'll try to repost. And so I encourage people to tag me and make it a conversation in a community. And I am at janeallen.com. So my mailing list is there and I do not send enough emails. So don't worry, you will not get spammed. In fact, you're probably mad. Like, why didn't you email? <laughs> I will improve frequency, <laughs> but that's right. I can be, I can be found. Jane, you are so much fun. And somebody just posted, you are a delight and you are. Thank you so much for joining us. This has so been so much fun. You guys are, are fantastic. Thank you. This has been so much fun. So yes. worth the sparkles. Okay. Oh, okay. You the, sparkles. the girl brought the sparkle. You brought the sparkle. In more ways than one. Thank you, Jane. All right, everybody. Make sure you come back next week. Same time, same place. And we'll welcome V.E. Schwab and G.R. McAllister. Good night, y'all. Night. Thank you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.